Hello and welcome to the HJ Chatroom. I'm your host, Brian Kipping. For today's show, I'm delighted to welcome Peter Tasker to the HJ Chatroom. Peter, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you, Brian, and it's great to see you. No, thank you. You've been described as a man of many talents. If you wouldn't mind briefly explaining who is the man of many talents to our viewers. That's not what my wife calls me, by the way, <laughs> but uh, we won't go there. Um, well, uh, to, for a brief uh, introduction, I've been involved in the uh, Japanese financial markets since 1840. No, actually, since <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's actually, uh, shall I say, um, something like two thirds of my uh, my life, and I'm not a spring chicken, so it's quite a while. Um, and uh, so my my main gig that I've been uh, doing, pursuing through the through the decades. Uh, is uh, financial and particularly uh, in relation to the stock market. Yep. So I'm involved with the Japanese equities for a, for a very long time now. Um, be, besides that, I do quite a bit of writing um, of fiction and non-fiction articles, etc., which is kind of an addiction. Once you start that, you can't stop. So I'm in that sort of position that I, I just can't stop. It's too late to stop. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Well, I was going to say, I mean, given the amount of political and economic uncertainty that we have, not only in Japan, but globally, you know, I think the conversation when I have, you know, one, I'm very excited to have the conversation today, but I'm sure our viewers as well, just in regards to getting your thoughts in terms of micro and macro as well. I listened to a recent Money Week podcast, and uh, it's very interesting, Peter, because uh, you're probably sort of going to just grimace what I'm about to say. Um, but you were quoted going back to like 1990s as calling for the crash in a Japanese stock market bubble and for the Nikkei to head below 12,000 points. Well, actually, you called that bang on because, quite frankly, the Japanese market did crash and the Nikkei did trade below 12,000 points. Apologize for what is likely to be a loaded question. Is that likely to happen again? Well, never say never, but uh, I think that that was a very exceptional set of circumstances. When we look back at the, the kind of valuations that we had in Japan, then they were absolutely outrageous. Mm. Um, and it, it, it happened that Japan had 50% of world uh, market capitalization, really extraordinary. It's now 8%. Uh, so you can see that, you know, that it was way, way out of all proportion. Yeah. What we have in the world at the moment, I think, is there's one market which is quite expensive by uh, all, all precedents, which is the US market. Um, and then we've got the other markets, which haven't really done a hell of a lot this century, to be frank. Mm. Uh, so they're not really extended. Um, few of them are sort of super cheap, but they're sort of fairly on the cheap side. Right. Things like the uh, emerging markets, which, uh, you know, they, they were the big thing in the first decade of this, this, uh, of this century. Uh, but now they've been out of fashion for quite a long time. They're not expensive. Um, you know, you've got markets like uh, like China, uh, for example, it's been absolutely smashed. Yeah. Uh, yes. So when we look at the kind of valuations we have, we don't have the making 
of a global collapse by, by any stretch of the imagination. But that having been said, the, the US is in a bit of an unusual place. It's, it's done much, much better than everyone else. Hmm. And it is a market which has actually kind of been inflated by uh, QE, uh, hmm. quantitative easing, uh, when most other markets actually haven't. So that's a, that's a sort of, um, it's a one-off there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I think I'm pretty, um, fe I feel pretty okay about most of the markets. Japan's okay. Most of the Asian markets are okay. Europe's not too bad. Even the UK's not too bad. It's really just the US and how you deal with some of the companies there. Mm. Um, and then you've got, you know, you've got your digital tulips. Uh, I'm yeah. talking about the, the coins. Uh, yeah. You know, those things, I mean, well, you know, what, what are they worth? Nobody knows. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Anything can happen and probably will. One thing I'd like to say, though, is that when you, when you make a call about something, if you're right 55% of the time, you are a genius. <laughs> That's in finance, right? It doesn't work for doctors. If they're only right 55% of, of the time, they probably go to jail. No, very true. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's nobody really knows uh, in the financial markets what's going to happen. You can't do, you make your best efforts and yeah. quite a lot of the time you're wrong. And every now and again, you hope to be right when it's important. Yeah, it's interesting going back to just in terms of referencing QE. Obviously, when we looked at the valuation, certainly in terms of the US market, as you mentioned, you know, QE having a profound impact on the valuations, let's just say of some of the core uh, core indices, but we didn't have that to a degree in Japan. I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts to understand why was that not the case in Japan, given the amount of you know BOJ uh, liquidity that was put into the market. Yeah, well, you're you're absolutely right, and um, it has largely been a US phenomenon. If we look at the cyclically uh, adjusted PE mm. ratio, uh, which is a sort of long-term uh, valuation metric. It doesn't work for you know this six months or one year or even two years, but over ten and twenty years, it does work. Yeah. The US is extraordinarily expensive. Most of the other markets, are, uh, as mentioned, are sort of in an okay place, including mm. Japan. It's pretty cheap actually. Most of the markets uh, that I look at in Asia, the other markets are also quite cheap. They've got problems, and mm. of course, who, who doesn't have problems? Yeah, um, very true. So why is that? Well, I think partly it's because of the composition of the US and the markets there, they have got these huge market cap companies mm. which have, um, in, in some cases, uh, limited or no profitability. And the market has been willing to give them the benefit of the doubt for a long time, basically because there's no interest rates. Yeah. And yeah. now what's happened over the last year is that we've got interest rates and we've got inflation. And that really changes the whole picture dramatically because we mm -hmm. haven't been in that situation for really, well, getting on for 30, 40 years. Yes. So now uh, you've got a, a hurdle rate, which you didn't have before. The hurdle rate was kind of zero. Yes. And therefore those uh, long duration assets 
which may pay off and be great companies in 2050 and we're willing to take a bet. Suddenly nobody wants to take a bet because the hurdle rate is back and you're losing money now in order to invest in them. Yeah. So I think that's the, it's partly that, and it's also a cultural thing as well. I think that the, the sort of equity culture um, <clears throat> in the US is much more advanced and people mm. just want to be in financial products, not in the bank. As yeah. we know, here in Japan, we got 50% of uh, household financial assets are stuck in the bank earning nothing. Yes. Maybe yeah. now that we, we're starting to get a bit of an interest rate in the world, and it will come to Japan at some point, um, then people will start to, to, to move into the, uh, uh, in, into the stock market here in Japan. But it hasn't happened on a big scale yet. I mean, one other point really sort of to go back, I understand obviously the interest rate component has been very relevant, obviously in terms of the impact in uh, the foreign exchange market. You know, we've now touched around this sort of $135 yen, which quite frankly, you know, we're testing these highs or lows, whatever way you want to look at it, whether you're dollars or in yen. Um, the yen historically has always been somewhat of a go-to currency in a risk-off environment, but that's definitely not been the case there. And, and I guess given where dollar-yen is trading, we're certainly seeing the yen itself at the forefront, really, of the FX markets. And we've only had recently that, you know, we've had the concerns offered by the BOJ in terms of where the dollar-yen is trading at the moment, but there's been no sort of from what I can observe, at least anyhow, other than just the rhetoric, I've not seen any real action. So I guess one thing, Peter, I mean, from your perspective, are we just on this continual slide to a degree in terms of the yen depreciation? Or at what point does the BOJ take action? Or at what point it may not be the BOJ, it will be another catalyst that will then weaken the dollar yen? Well, Currencies are always, you know, the worst call you make mm. <laughs> yeah. because, you know, there's perfect information. There's nothing. Uh, everybody knows all, all the factors. But what are the key factors? What's really driving it? It's hard to say. Mm. Um, I've got a couple of points that I'd like to make. I don't, I don't know whether what they add up to in the in the the, um, the the end of the story. But I am quite suspicious of this yen move. Um, the yen has been in trade weight, real trade weighted terms, has been going down uh, since 1995, and it's gone already fallen now about 60%. Yeah. So it's super cheap. Now, um, it doesn't, you know, if you've got an emerging um, economy, uh, generally they're going to have a lot of debt. Uh, which they, is going to be denominated in dollars. And this is where you get into a hell of a mess, some of mm. these countries have historically, um, because if their currency goes south, then the, uh, the dollar debt that they owe is getting more and more onerous to serve. Yes. And then what happens is sometimes they can't, and in comes the IMF, and you know it's all horrible yeah. from then on in. Well, Japan is actually in the exact opposite situation because they've got a huge treasure trove 
of overseas financial assets. And the value of their uh, overseas financial assets in yen terms is going up a huge amount. So from their point of view, uh, this isn't a problem. Of course, there are winners and losers in any kind Mm. of currency uh, um, move of this scale. Yeah. But from Kuroda's point of view, he probably feels a bit uncomfortable because it's gone so fast. Yeah. But he's supposed to be delivering uh, 2%, 2% inflation. That was his compact that he made with the government in 2013. And he, he yeah. was unable to do it. Now it looks like he's going to do it. So he, <laughs> he, he's, he's going to be wanting to run a, a, a victory lap. Yeah. Uh, celebrating. Um, of course... <clears throat> That's not how it's worked. You get bashed, whatever you do. So yes. there you are. You know, that's the name of the game. Um, but there isn't any real risk. The, the real risk uh, from the Japanese point of view would be if they had a lot of inflation. Mm. Well, we can see um, what the market thinks inflation is going to do in Japan yeah. uh, from the differential between ordinary uh, government bonds and inflation protected government bonds. Mm. And what that is saying at the moment is that Japan is going to have inflation of 1%. So the market doesn't believe that uh, Kuroda's 2% is going to stick. Uh, Now, if you look at all the other countries that have got uh, inflation protected bonds, so they've got the same kind of way of looking at uh, expected inflation, they're all much higher than Japan. Mm. Um, you know, the UK is 4%. Mm. Uh, the US is sort of 2.67%. Uh, uh, Sweden, Germany, they're all way over 2%. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Japan has actually got the lowest expected inflation. If you've got the lowest expected inflation and your currency goes down, that means you get a competitive advantage. Hmm. You become more competitive. Yeah. That's all it yeah. means. So from the point of view of uh, Japan, if the currency stays where it is now for, for shall we say, for a couple of years, uh, this will be an inducement for Japan to bring back uh, factories, uh, bring them back home yeah. uh, because it's now cheap. Yeah. Um, you're going to have the mother of all tourist uh, booms. Hmm. Um you know, it's it's going to be a pure competitiveness game uh, for Japan. Yes. So it's yeah. not really a problem from my point of view. But I'm mm. going to go one further than that. I think it is a problem for the US if this goes on, the sort yeah. of almighty dollar versus all the other uh, currencies. I mean, Japan is is the most eye-catching, but it's basically the dollar which is uh, which has gone crazy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And already we've seen a complete blowout in the U.S. trade deficit. And yeah. that's before these moves over the last couple of months have had a chance to really have any effect. Mm-hmm. So what we've got here is a problem uh, of course, significant problem uh, in the U.S. trade account. Yeah. Now, if Donald Trump was in uh, power, we'd be hearing about that night and day. And yeah. he's tweeting crazy, crazily about it all the time. But 
He's not on Twitter, as we know, <laughs> and he's not in the White House either. So uh, people, nobody's really talking about it. But nonetheless, it is a big deal. And I could see somewhere down the line, if this goes on, we are heading for a Louvre or Plaza Accord type denouement at some point mm. where there's going to have to be some kind of controlled effort to bring these currencies uh, into, into a different alignment, because at the moment, the US is very uncompetitive. Given the fact of where dollar yen is right now, is there a lack of incentive by the corporate companies of Japan that are generating overseas earnings to repatriate back to yen? You know, because they're able to achieve a higher return by leaving essentially their money outside of yen? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you... If you're a, a company that is, for example, selling a pro, you know, a, a component to Apple or someone like that, mm. suddenly the amount of yen you're getting for that uh, product has gone up a huge amount. That's so right. you're laughing. Yeah. You probably keep quiet about it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, I think there's a lot of that that's going on. There's a lot of distortion because we're still in the sort of kind of COVID era when we haven't really normalized yet. Mm. Um, so, you know, there, there are all kinds of uh, other issues. And we got China, um, which is uh, sl- the, the economy is you know, really hitting the, the skids there. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've got all kinds of other issues which are kind of confusing the situation, mm. not to speak of the, uh, uh, the, the war uh, yeah. and the bump up that's given to energy prices. Yeah. So, you know, it's, a, it's all very complicated. It's never simple. Um, but my view is that the yen is too cheap. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, my friends um, from who, who were living in, 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 uh, in Japan in, this, in the 90s, you know, if they came over here now, they would be shocked about how cheap everything is. Yeah. We mentioned... Don't tell, little... Don't tell them. Let's keep it to no, us. No, we're going to keep it our secret, actually. We're going to... Given the amount of debt levels that are going on in terms of the G7 economies, and again, specifically that we look at Japan, there's been a lot of chatter in amongst the global macro commentators about calling for a so-called debt jubilee. Mm. And I guess when you look at the ownership of the Japanese debt, Mm. mostly being owned by the BOJ and the Japanese institutions, you would think that as, you know, you would actually think that Japan's in a prime position to exercise this so-called debt jubilee. Do you actually feel that that's likely to happen? Or do you feel that, quite frankly, everybody's sitting on a mountain of debt and they're going to manage it through some level of inflation? Yeah, well, I think there, there is an element in, uh, in that last uh, item that you mentioned. Um, I th- it looks to me like the, uh, the central banks, they're talking very, very tough. But you look at their actions, uh, and the level of where inflation is now, um, you know, if they wanted to br- bring down inflation fast, you got eight percent inflation. Uh, you take the the uh, you, you, you take the, the the interest rates up to that level. Yeah, <laughs> that'll stop yeah. it for sure. Yeah. So, but nobody's doing that. So they want to mm. do it, you know, in a nice way, and it's slow and all that, and it's ineffective and it's not really working. But you know, nobody's complaining yet. So um, there is, I think, an element of what they call financial re- uh, repression, yeah. which means that your money in the bank now is losing uh, a lot of value. Uh, 
Mm. Um, here in Japan, not so much, as I mentioned, you know, the, the expected inflation is 1%. Um, but generally, uh, that's a, an easy way for, for governments to get out of debt issues. Japan is a bit different because their debt is owed to themselves, as you rightly say, and a huge amount of it is now uh, held by the Bank of Japan. Um, effectively, that, that doesn't exist. It's one part of the government has issued a bit of paper to another part of the government. So it's, it's actually quite nonsensical. Now, yeah. the idea is at some point, if there's a lot of inflation, they might want to um, sell the debt into the market. Um, and that, that would be a, uh, a way of, of, uh, of mopping up uh, excess liquidity. Hmm. But um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that that's ever going to happen in Japan's case. Uh, you know, as, as we know, uh, Japan had inflation down to 3% in about 1981, 1982, when the rest of the world was still way up there with double debt uh, digit in, uh, inflation, continuing mm. into the, in the case of the UK, into the 90s even. Yeah. So um, I think uh, Japan is not gonna have a great deal of inflation uh, for various complicated social reasons. Um, but what they can do um, is simply roll over the debt. Mm. Uh, and if they keep rolling it over, that's effectively, it doesn't exist. Yeah. If they let it run off um, and therefore reduce their balance sheet, that is actually a tightening. Yeah. Um, and well, we're not in the world now where Japan needs a tightening, that's for sure. Yeah. So I don't see them doing it for several years and only if actually we've got a really inflationary world, which I can't rule out. It might be mm. that way uh, if we look down, the, you know, four or five years down the line. When we looked at, in terms of reference in the US, in terms of inflation, the annual inflation hit 8.6%. Yep. You know, as we spoke, that Corona must be happy and uh, mm. he's now at his uh, inflation target of 2%. It's taken him, you know, eight to nine years, but he's finally mm -hmm. got there. Yeah. One of the concerns or observations I've got is the fact that whilst that we are seeing, I don't know to some degree, it may be marginal inflation, but I guess that we still got inflation in terms of food prices and mm -hmm. certain elements there within the economy. Mm. I've not really seen, I've not really seen sort of wage income sort of mm. also move up to be in line with that level of perceived inflation or perceived mm. inflation target. So I guess to some degree, Peter, I mean, by the actions of just letting the inflation get to the 2% target, if wage income is not increasing, essentially, has he not made the country more poorer? Yeah, well, there's an element of that. Um, you know, there, there, are, there, were, there are winners and losers. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, some companies are gonna be doing very well, as mentioned. Yeah. Um, but what you, the way you described inflation is actually what, what it's always like. Yeah. And uh, I think we're, we in the UK, we're both British, we know what it's, we, know, we, know, we probably, maybe, maybe you're too young, Brian. <laughs> you remember the 70s. Thanks for that. <laughs> you, you remember the 70s, right? I do, yeah. Yeah, well, I think we could be heading towards massive strikes 
um, and sort of huge wage demands, public sector workers, uh, you know, violence on the streets and uh, all that stuff uh, quite easily within, you know, within a year or two. Because yeah. uh, uh, because when uh, you have wage price wage um, spirals, it starts with prices, actually. Mm. Uh, it always starts with prices. And then people get angry and they say, what the hell is this? Yep. And then it works. Well, who's got the muscle? Well, we got the muscle. We can shut down the railway system. Yep. Give us more money. So that's how it works. In those cases, it's pure muscle. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the way it goes. And it, it's usually not a very happy situation when mm. you get that because it's basically muscle um, and who can threaten the, the employers the most. Um, and so like the university lectures, they all go on strike. A lot of people aren't going to notice. I'm so, sorry to say, right? Yeah. yeah. But when the railways go on strike, people will notice. Yeah. Uh, and the power workers or, or whoever it may be. Um, you, you, you may remember when we had all, all the garbage collectors stopped. stopped That's right. Yeah. Garbage in 77, I think it was. So, you know, that's what it's like. Uh, so these um, price um, wage spirals are not happy. You know, nobody's a happy camper uh, yeah. uh, in those situations. It's, it's unpleasant. Uh, so if if um, if the next guy comes in uh, after Corona and he says, you know, maybe we don't need two percent, maybe one percent is okay. That might, you know, that might happen. I can see that happening, and I can also see that it may um, it may it, it may end up like that too, with Japan having the lowest uh, inflation. Uh, in leaving aside Switzerland, because it's Switzerland's also in the same place, really. Um, and when you get that, you generally the 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 currencies uh, with the least inflation should have should be the strongest currencies. Uh, so you know that's obviously not the case now. But you know, looking looking forward a couple of years, I can see the yen being being strong. And in a bizarre way, that's essentially what the BOJ doesn't want, right? To have a strong currency. Yeah, well, uh, uh, as you mentioned, you know, this whole thing about the safe haven mm. is, it, it seems, when you say safe haven, it sounds good, right? <laughs> you know, oh, it's, it's really nice to be in a haven. In reality, though, what happened was when they had the tsunami uh, and the triple disaster in uh, 2011, um, the yen went up a huge amount from sort of 103 to uh, something like 78 yeah. in that time. And it's, you know, the, the uh, Japanese economy was not functioning at all. Mm -hmm. And now to, to put it, you know, to make matters worse, their export uh, competitiveness was absolutely ruined yeah. um, by that, that yen move. So actually safe haven sounds good, um, but actually, it can screw you up big time. Yeah, yeah. No, very, very true. I mean, we we sort of focus a little bit just in terms of your five-year view, sir, in terms of, you know, medium term that the yen's potentially going, get, going to get stronger. I mean, it's a bit of a loaded question, Peter, but how does this, you know, what we've got currently going on globally, how does it all work out? Or it simply doesn't, you know, I mean, do you have a view on that? 
You mean financial stuff or yeah, yeah. stuff? Yeah, financial yeah. stuff. Well, yeah. Uh, as I said, I think one of the key points is the you know the U.S. dollar's ascendancy mm. and the fact that um, when, when Trump was uh, president, he made it very clear that he didn't want that. Yeah. Uh, and he thought it, you know the Americans were being ripped off by everybody else. Um, I mean, that's one way of putting it. But it, I think it is. If you get a uh, an ascendant dollar uh, and everything else is down, that's not good for the U.S. I think yeah. uh, in the long term. And there's going to be some um, issues about you know how we're going to govern the the currencies now. Mm. However, we're also living in a split world now, very polarized, and you've got big players like the Chinese in particular who yeah. are now kind of. Um, uh, in, in, in a very unsympathetic mood. Uh, and so it's hard to believe they're going to be very uh, cooperative on any score whatsoever. Mm. <clears throat> so uh, I, I see that this is actually going to be a period of polarization and great difficulty. Um, and, it, it, you know, maybe the, the so-called Western bloc has, by virtue of this uh, war, um, become a bit more cohesive yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe in a position to start um, making new initiatives that people can agree on mm. Um, mm. because the alternatives are so bad. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. maybe I could see that that could happen at some point, but it's going to be very tricky. You're going to need somebody like, you know, a Keynes to come in and say, this is what we're going to do. <clears throat> and, and for yourself being involved in the financial markets for, an extended period of time. I mean, how would you how would you suggest to an investor, or how should an investor feel just in regards to protecting his purchasing power, given so much uncertainty going on? Right, if he leaves the cash in a the bank, then inflation is going to erode his purchasing power. How should he think about it? Well, there you are. There, there's no good answer to that. When we mm. look back and see what assets did well. Uh, during the 70s, for example, um, very few did, a co a commodities did, um, uh, but it's quite hard to, 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 um, to, to buy commodities um, if you were just an, an ordinary Joe, yeah. or Joanna, I should say. So, you know, <laughs> let's keep this uh, um, <laughs> diverse. Uh, but um, so the, you know, it's, it's not that easy to do. Um, I think you know that bonds are going to be a big problem uh, and uh, are, are, are going to be um, hurt uh, because I feel that the inflation um, nobody is going to crush inflation at the expense of absolutely crushing the economy. I can't yeah. see Boris doing that. Oh, let's crush the economy. Uh, uh, you know, he's unpopular enough already. <laughs> and, and also, you know, any, anybody else in the major countries, they're going to try and sort of work their way through, um, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, tack to the left, tack to the right. Yeah. Uh, that's the way it's going to go. Yeah. Uh, nobody's going to be on for a serious recession mm. until inflation has become the number one political enemy, which is not the case now. That happened in Britain in 78 after yeah. we'd had about sort of six years of, inf of serious inflation. 
And mm. even then, it took years to get it back down. Yeah. So uh, I, I see this as a, a pretty tricky uh, uh, position. I think if we are um, buying equities that are cheap um, in their, you know, historically, yeah. um, I think that that's probably a, a good a good way to go. Mm. Um, and like bonds, I think, and cash are going to be bad. Yeah. Well, Peter, it's, real uh, estate. I, I'm not going to. Uh, you, you're the expert on real estate. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> no, well, thank you. I'm. You know, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I just wanted to again sort of finish off to see whether there was. We've covered an awful lot of topics. Uh, today, but I just wondered whether there was any specific topics that you wanted to just uh, have the opportunity to raise before uh, before we look to close. Well, I just wanted something that's a bit of a philosophical point, mm. which is that you know going back to the uh, the bubble and all that, and uh, what it struck me then is that almost everybody was wrong, right? And they were the people who were the most certain were the wrongest. And the people who were real experts on Japan, you know, academics who were, who were very, very famous and, you know, uh, they, they were totally wrong. Yeah. The stuff they said was, you know, it was nonsense basically in, in retrospect. So I've, I've become quite suspicious of received wisdom and what people say, mm. uh, you know, and particularly intelligent people. They're actually the most dangerous. Mm. because they believe that they're right. Yeah. And they have been told that they're brilliant by their mothers yeah. <laughs> from the age of seven. Yeah. And are oh, you so clever? You're so clever. And they believe it. And they believe they are astonishingly brilliant. And in some cases they are, but that doesn't mean they're right. True. So I think the, the, the answer is that Nobody really knows what's going to happen. Just be prepared for all the eventualities that you can possibly prefer, prepare for. That's all there is to it. No, that's a fair comment, actually. So thank you. Well, Peter, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to catch up with me on the chat room. Uh, for our viewers that want to learn more about Peter Tasker and what Peter's up to, how can they get in contact with you? Well, um, I've got a blog. Um, so, and I just want to say it's, uh, it's called Peter Tasker Asia, not petertasker.com. There's another guy called P uh, Peter Tasker, and he's got petertasker.com, and he's a fundamentalist preacher. I am not him, <laughs> right? I am Peter Tasker Asia. And have a look at that. And I've got a, uh, um, a, an email there, and you can get in touch with me on that email anytime. Well, that's great, Peter. Thanks very much for your time. It's much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. It's great to talk. Yeah. Thank you.